0: Hey, everyone, it's so nice to be back with you. You know, as most of you know, it's really unusual for us to have two back-to-back interviews. I'm really excited to do that, though, um, this time. I want you to see and feel and experience Peyton Callahan on the heels of our previous interview. And why do I say that? I say that because there are so many different voices and so many different styles when we talk about being ourself, we're really, really clear that that means not being her. It means being you and so, if you listened to our app last episode and now you're listening to this, you're going to see two completely different energies. they will land so differently for you yet both land very, very well. I believe Peyton Callahan is ah uh, <laughs> she's this gentle, wise, joy-filled, generous human. And you will go into the depths of feeling during this interview. You're going to really feel her. She gets really vulnerable and shares some personal experiences that are just so beautifully raw. And, and I want to thank her again for that. And it was just such an honor to be in that space with her and witness her and experience that and know that she was sharing that with me so that I could share her and all of that with all of you. What a generous, generous act that is. She's funny. She's spunky. She is someone who She just exudes the attitude of live life to the fullest while you can. And I just guarantee you're going to love this. I guarantee you're going to love it. So let me tell you a little bit about Peyton. Peyton Callahan is a well-being doula. She guides women to awaken to their body's brilliance. She supports women in learning how to interpret their body's language by attuning to their own innate knowledge and deepening their understanding of how their body expresses itself physically, emotionally, and energetically. She's the author of She Becomes, a dad's guide, and the creator of a beautiful program that you're going to hear about for young women called She Becomes. I have never heard of anything like that. It is so needed, and I know you're going to want to learn more about it. This is an interview that obviously you can listen to wherever you are. I bet you're going to want to listen to it again with a cup of tea or some refreshing drink, perhaps a blanket or a cozy spot that you're sitting in where you can really be still and really take it in. It is very deep and very beautiful. And It is such an invitation, such an invitation. Thank you again, Peyton. Thank you all for sharing. Please specifically share this episode by tagging Peyton Callahan, tag BU Podcast, share this with others. Women need, and I I don't usually say need, deserve and need to hear this episode. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. Ten years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy, and in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Okay, everyone, I am so happy to introduce you to my new friend, Peyton Callahan. So I told you a little bit about her before we hit record, and I was telling Peyton, she's like, so what? caused you to ask me to be on the podcast? Like, what do, you, what do you want to talk about? Or what was it about me? And I love that you asked that, by the way. And what I want to say about Peyton that I just shared with her is that Peyton is someone I've never met. We've really only interacted very briefly through social media. But I was telling her that even though social media is a facade, right, if you really allow yourself to and you tune into the essence of people... The people who will allow yourself to see some of them, you know, on social media, you can feel them. And Peyton's one of those people. It's not like there was this, I didn't have anything tangible. There was nothing on paper that I could say, oh, she does this. She's done that. This is why I have to have her on. Oh, she's going to get a lot of listens. But it was her essence. And one of the things about you, Peyton, that I'm so drawn to is one the way you land from me is is just extremely approachable, extremely real, joyful, fun. Not in a a way that's oh I'm going to manufacture this for social media so I look like I'm having fun. Like I look at at your posts, I scrolled back, and I was like oh my god, she really has fun in life. I bet you she didn't even think about anything other than I love life in that moment, and it's so. It may be normal to you, but people who listen to my podcast know that that's not normal for me. I want to be that way, but I've allowed most of my life, my trauma to drive the bus. And so I've always been in that hypervigilant state and seeing you just so like open to love and open to life. And you, you also had a post that said it was you and your husband and you said, I don't need to teach you. I need to love you and love will teach you. And oh, I could cry right now. I just thought yeah. to myself. Oh my, I know, that oh, got me
1: all teary, just So beautiful
0: well. yeah. and it made me think of even my kids. But I'm so happy to introduce you and share you with all of these women. We have women in 86 countries. We have women in Saudi Arabia, Kenya, countries I had never heard of listening. So many different cultures and I know they're just gonna love you. So thank you for saying yes to this.
1: You're welcome. That feels really good to hear. Thank you. And I appreciate you for answering your heart's call. Do you know the the leading cause of death for women after menopause is heart disease? And when you look at how emotions and perceptions lie in the body, I truly believe that a contributing factor to that is, especially for women, is because we don't answer our heart's call. We don't say yes to our heart's desires. We sometimes find our satisfaction or purpose through other family members' purposes instead of listening to our own heart. And instead of saying yes to our purpose after perhaps raising a family raising a career, And then truly answering what that heart's desire is and and why we're here to serve in this lifetime. And so I don't know why I went off on that tangent immediately, but I think it's so important as women grow older that we really start listening to that calling and we really start saying yes to our heart's desires. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so important. It's so important for our well-being to do that.
0: I so agree. And it's, it's interesting. I'm just pausing after you say that because it's so true. But yet it's one of those things that everyone listening probably is feeling the way I am right now. Like, I just want to take a breath for a second. Like, that's a big thing that you said. Yep. Like, I don't know why I went off on that tangent. Well, because it was a huge, important message for every woman in the world listening to follow your heart's desire because we talk about it. You see it on. Instagram or on memes or on Pinterest about ignoring the opinions of other people and it's your life. But the way you said it is very different. Really following your heart's desire.
1: And I, especially women who are mothers, because we're in service, we're in service of others for so long that we may not give ourselves permission to be in service to ourselves and to say yes to ourselves. And we pay for it physically when we're not doing what what we're here to do yeah. <laughs> at this point in our lifetime. And to really, you know, serve the world in our, our greatest gifts. It's, mm-hmm. I refer to it as it's a holy assignment. And it's, we, we have this sacredness that each of us, each of us are given to, to be here in in our lifetime. And we each have this gift to share with the world. And your heart will will tell you what that is. It will, it will beat, it will lead you that way. But will you have the courage to answer?
0: Yeah. And will you have the courage to give yourself permission to even hear it? Absolutely.
1: You're doing that with your podcast. This mm-hmm. is, and you're figuring out it as you go. I mean, prior to pressing record, you said to me, I'm still learning how this all works. You know, I lost some audio from other podcasts I did. And, you know, I'm, I'm learning, I'm doing this, but I have a message and, and I have this desire to reach people and I'm just doing it and I'm figuring it out as I go. And that's so important and that's so inspiring in itself.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I will receive that because I truly didn't know what I was doing. And it, everyone who listens knows that this was truly, it was just a, a prompting that I received. And it was in the weirdest time. I didn't even listen to podcasts. I had heard of one podcast before. I didn't know how they worked. I didn't know the world. I didn't know this whole world. I thought I was writing a book. And so when I felt that I was supposed to do this podcast, I don't even remember how it happened. You know, I always thought it would be like a big voice that says, you're supposed to start a podcast. No, but just this came, this... (laughs) <laughs> idea came into my awareness, you know, that I It's not always
1: that loud. You're right. Right. Sometimes there are little whispers. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. And when that happened, Peyton, I think, I don't know, a few weeks later maybe, I was in my home office and I was looking at my whiteboard and I looked down at the bottom right hand corner and I'm like, You've got to be effing kidding me. There were statements that I had written out the year before at the new year, like affirmations. And I looked at that really often. I promise you, I do not remember writing this. I don't know why I would have written this because I told you I didn't listen to podcasts. But one of the things, and I have a I have a picture of it. One of the things that I wrote that I read after I decided to do the podcast, maybe after I launched it, was my podcast explodes with success in 2020. Now the other thing that's weird is that Ooh, I started that gave me chills. Yes, I started at the end of October in 2020. So I even laughed. I'm like, well, it's not going to explode with success, but. It, I guess I somehow knew I was having a podcast. And five months later, four months after that, I got an email and I thought it was spam. I didn't understand it. And they said they were from iTunes saying that I had made top 100 in the entrepreneurship category. And I'm like, well, one, it's not true because I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about entrepreneurship. That's not even my category, duh. Two, clearly <laughs> this is just some fishing thing trying to stroke my ego. So I ignored it. And I got another one and I ignored it. And months later, I met someone called Sky King, who's connected to a lot of your friends. Yeah, And yeah. I hired Sky and we were talking and he's like, okay, I'm just kind of looking at things as we're talking. Holy shit. And I'm like, what? And he goes, do you realize that you've been in the top 100 like several times? And I'm like, no, that was a fake email. And he goes, no, it wasn't fake. <laughs> and <I'm> like, well, <laughs> That's how-. amazing. Anyway, and that was just following my heart. And yeah, I've made a million mistakes. Oh my gosh, I could tell you so many stories. What Peyton's talking about is I lost six interviews. So that's well over six hours of interviews with people and it's their time that now I have to go back and ask for again. But yeah, so the other thing about you though, not, that I'm not and again, I don't say this because I feel like, oh, Peyton needs another ego stroke here. I want to say something else I didn't say when we started, because it has to do with what we're going to talk about. The one thing I was drawn to about you, I told you was that joyful just love of life, that lightness, right? Funny, artistic, all of that. I also was drawn to you have just as much that as you have depth. I saw a post of yours and I see where you're sitting now. And it was that I saw the artwork and I'm like, Oh, she's, she sounds just so light and funny. There's a little more to her. And then I, I saw that you were a doula. I'm like, okay, clearly. So you know let i would like to talk about i've never asked you why did you become a doula how did you become a doula and explain to people there's some people who don't even know what a doula is well i'm going to
1: start i'm going to go back
0: even a little further
1: because it it's resonant to what we opened our opening conversation about women growing older and and listening to their hearts but My mother, when she was 49, completed suicide. And interestingly, she shot herself in the heart. Mm. So, you know, I was 24, super close to my family, and was met with this life-shifting event. And... Pretty, I'm pretty neutral when I talk about it, but it's, it's coming up for me today,
0: mm-hmm.
1: meaning I can talk about it without getting super emotional. It took me a long time to, to get there too, yeah, though, sure. yeah. that being said. But as traumatic as that was for me to have my mom pass on that way, it has gifted me enormously in the way I choose to connect with women and the way I choose to show up for people in my life. So about a year after her death, I was invited to a red tent, which is a women's gathering in celebration of her child's birth, in celebration of the birth. So there was a book written called The Red Tent Mm -hmm. by Anita Diamante. And um that was a little over 20 years ago. So this book had just come out, and my friend had read it, and she was the woman in our, our community who hosted many events, and she put on, erected a red tent in a our friend's backyard and put together this gathering to celebrate our friend's daughter's birth and invited me, who you know had been married for a year. Um, no kids, and my friend Nicole. So, all the other women that were there were mothers, and Nicole and I roll in, you know, ready for just, you know, the party, right? In our mind, we're going to a party. And it was one of the most powerful things I had ever attended. I'm sitting around in this tent, around this table with this. An incredible group of women of all ages who were reading poetry, just sharing their fears, sharing their joys, and just talking about their experiences as a woman. And I left that night like literally beating my chest. Like, I am so proud that I have the opportunity to create life, give life, and connect with other people the way I get to do. It completely changed the way in which I connect with other women. And it also reminded me, because my mother's death, it was still very fresh, that I would continue to be mothered by these incredible women in my community, and that nothing was missing in my life that I have this connection. I don't have the physical connection with her, but the things that I so missed about her were present in other forms. Yeah, so cultivating community for women and gathering women is is so important to me. And that was, would that have happened without my mom's passing? Maybe, maybe not, but it's certainly became very important. It certainly shifted things in my life. And it was also part of my healing, right? Having having this experience and having these connections helped
0: me to heal. Huge piece of your healing. Thank you so yep. much for sharing that. I, mm-hmm. I apologize, but I do remember that story and I forgot mm. about it. Mm. So I didn't see it coming, but I, I just, I was feeling it too, as you were sharing. I, I just, oh my gosh. So I just want to say this, that When you went to that ceremony, the way I'm receiving this is, yes, of course. I mean, that was a beautiful spiritual experience that was healing for you that you invited that in though. I mean, there are people who could have sat in that red tent and they would walk out and say, I would rather take my anger and my grief. Thank you. Mm. And they would live with that for the rest of their lives or another 10 years or another 20 or 30 years or even another year. And for you to... Be that open to that and then decide. I, I mean, it's pretty profound that you were able at 25 years old after something so tragic, just one year earlier to take that and receive all of that and say, Oh, wow. I have that still, even though I don't have, I mean, I'm just a goosebumps. I can't believe anyone, let alone someone at that age, only a year out was able to do that. So I hope you. Acknowledge yourself for that because because of that, you created the life that you now have when, I mean, you may not have been with your husband. You may not have had the children that you have. You may not have the life you have if you had chosen the anger and the pain.
1: Well, I'll tell you another story. So the day my mom took her life was the first date with my husband. Like it's to the moment.
0: It was to the moment. And so you were on a date with him? Yes. When this happened? Yes. And had you known him for years and years?
1: Nope. Ultimate joy and my ultimate sadness. We had met um, and he asked me to go on a date on a whim. I had contemplated actually going home to see my parents that weekend. And when he asked me on the date, I said yes. Something just. Really, I really wanted to go, and and we were all going to a Cubs baseball game. So yes, I was gifted my ultimate joy and my ultimate sadness, and I don't. I think that was by divine design. He was an angel that came in my life to just shine light and love and joy in my life, so I could feel all that darkness, and and I I truly believe that, and I've said that to him. I'm like, you're not like some knight. In shining armor, and you didn't come and save me. You were an angel. You shine light mm-hmm. in all the dark places. And those are very different.
0: That's very different. Very different.
1: And um, I don't know if I've ever shared this with anyone, but we started dating after that. You know, we went on this amazing first date, and then I heard about my mom's death the next day. So I just leave you know, we don't have cell phones back then. This was 22 years ago, 20. Yeah. And so I just disappear. And then he, you know, I come back a few weeks later, and he hears and the way he handled it was he was so loving and amazing. But, you know, I was going through this grief as we were dating. And it was hard. I cried myself to sleep every night. And it was super hard. and. I was at his house one day and he had gone to work and I was just having such a hard day. I couldn't go to work. So I asked if I could you know, stay at his house. I was staying at his house. So I was alone. And he came home from work and I was asleep on like his couch and I heard him call my name, like Peyton. And I, I was so like in a deep sleep. I hadn't slept at all the night before. So I was so in a deep sleep and I could hear him call my name, but I, I just couldn't like move. So I was in this deep sleep. And then I could hear his voice change and it was shaking and he wouldn't approach me. And when I finally like kind of came to from hearing him call me, I, I rolled over on the couch and I looked and I saw this look in his eye and he was so terrified thought i'd hurt myself just in my pain and in my grief and he was so afraid to go to me to the couch he was so afraid that something had happened to me and i saw that look in his eye and i could hear it and right then and there i said nope you are you are gonna get help you're gonna move through this you're gonna choose right now right now to not die with your mother Mm. And I did. And it was a lot of work. And I, there were some amazing organizations. We were living in Chicago at the time. The Loss Program helped led me back to life. I had counseling. I did group counseling. I did individual counseling. And I made a choice that I wasn't going to live in grief. And I would find the grace in it. And it wasn't easy. And obviously, it took years. But it was that moment. And I know that moment I experienced it seeing my mom. I know that moment. And I said, I would not let him ever feel that again.
0: Mm. And
1: that was it. That's how I made that decision. And wow. that was very early. But it was what gave me the, the strength to, to recover.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yeah, thank you for giving me space
1: to share it. I honestly don't know if I've really shared that.
0: When you said his voice was shaky, that's exactly, I was with him in that story. And I I knew that's what you were gonna say. It's like I could could be where he was thinking, oh my gosh, is she okay? Oh man. Okay, so after you had that experience at the red tent, which I need to look at that. I've heard the term red tent. And isn't it true that they would have women who were menstruating gather in a red tent? Isn't that where it comes exactly. from? Exactly, it's exactly. The
1: author was very inspired by the history of moon lodges and, and, and places where women would gather to menstruate, to, have, to give birth. And it was a time where you know, they would go and sit on hay bales. And during this time of, Menstruating and so shedding, and then bringing life into the world, they would tell stories and they would dance together and they would hold one another and help one another. And her book really inspired a movement of these red tent ceremonies and gatherings for women. But yes, that's the the gist of what a red tent is in the history of that. It's the inspiration from moon lodges where you a woman would go to bleed.
0: So after that experience, we know the impact that it had on your your grief. Mm-hmm. But is that also, was that like the, I'll call it, the awakening for you to really turn to like the feminine? And like, is that when that started? Were you?
1: I think, honestly, that's, it's always been very present for me. It allowed me to really feel and celebrate that. Shortly after that event, and and honestly, I've just, always been obsessed with like pregnant. Like it fascinated me. I remember as a child, like being at a, a park with my mother. And she said, Oh, this woman has a baby growing in her belly. And I was like, what? And I lifted up her shirt. And I was like, <laughs> trying to look for the baby. Like, how's that even po- like, just loved it and so shortly after this red tent experience which we watched the woman had filmed her birth and I just couldn't get enough I mean loved every part of it and was so honored that she allowed us to witness the video of, of her sweet little daughter Sadie's birth and she is actually a midwife So, someone who um, supports women during childbirth. I'm a doula, more like a coach. A midwife is a practice. They don't perform surgeries, but they're there for childbirth. And so she helped train me, she was mentored me. But after that red tent, I got pregnant. And then a couple of my friends were pregnant. And when one of our friends went in labor, I don't know why. I don't even think she invited me. I just showed up at the hospital. Like (laughs) she, she called me and was like, "You know, I'm having contractions," and and so I'm like, I had gone to one of her doctor's appointments with her. For some reason, she had just asked me, and you know, I'm just being the friend. I'm showing up, you know, whatever. But when she was going in labor, I think I had driven Cal to work that day. That's what it was. I had driven him to work, so I dropped him off, and I'm like, just stop by the hospital. And like, was totally there creeping in her room with her husband, like helping
0: her go through some contract, literally uninvited. Thank oh you, Joanne. <laughs> and it's reminded me of your story about dancing in Africa, okay. which we'll get to, but it reminds me of okay. that. Like, I'm ready. I'm ready. Oh, here. <laughs> and so.
1: They like literally as she's given birth, they asked me to step outside of the room. And I'm sitting literally outside the room on a bench, just like waiting and go right in after again, uninvited. And then fast forward, I had my son a few months later. And I asked, I called my friend Nicole and asked her to be there with me. And I could feel I was drawing so much strength from her. She had never had a baby. She like she was just there. She was just there loving on me. And so Cal was on one side, who's my husband. Um, Nicole, my friend, was on the other side. She was pregnant at the time. but And I just remember leaning into her and just drawing on her for strength. And so after that birth, she goes into labor few months later and again at the hospital and this doctor kept seeing me and he's like you know you could do this as like this could be your thing like you could do this as your career and what do you do what you know he's like support women when they have their babies and I'm like what you know what he's like it's called a doula and I'm like well Okay. And so I asked my friend, it was a midwife. She's like, yeah, totally. And so there it was. But it just happened by, I just kind of kept showing up at people's births. And God love them. And I loved it. Like just couldn't get enough of the nurture and then learning more about the birth. I had a very, my first birth had a lot of interventions. And after I had our first child, I had a lot of fear as a mother. And it surprised me. I'm like, I'm like so cool, calm, and collected. And now all of a sudden I've got all this anxiety and I don't have any confidence about mothering him. Like and I remember being like shocked that I wasn't more confident as a mother. And so it took a few years for us to get pregnant again. We had a few miscarriages from the first child to our second child. And then with the second child, I'm like, all right, I trained as a doula. I learned things a little differently, had a birth without any interventions. Again, my friend was there. I had a doula there and all these amazing people. And then by the time we had our third child, I was like, I just want to be home and left alone. And so we had a home birth with her. But yeah, I just had incredible mentors, midwives, obstetricians. I had plenty of obstetricians who just knew how much I loved it and would teach me. They would teach me about everything, explain things to me. And so I was very, very lucky to have these incredible mentors
0: mm-hmm. um, and support me being in there. And I just loved it. I can tell even hearing you talk about it. <laughs> but let's talk about the fact that how women and, and, and many listeners are not mothers or they don't know if they'll ever be mothers, but but it's still a topic for all women. When you talked about the interventions and also the, the lack of confidence, like why we do that? Let's just. Just just to say it. I mean, there are people who've never had this conversation because I, for years, never had this conversation that it's, there are people who have never had the conversation, especially Americans, right? We have a lot of listeners who are not Americans and they're probably laughing right now and I get it how we are. But in, in the United States, it's our normal that the doctor knows more than us, that we don't know anything about our own bodies that we have to read a book and ask our doctor what to do and how to do it and when to do it we have no confidence not only once we are we have the baby in our arms but throughout the whole pregnancy like we're not taught to listen to our bodies we're not taught to you know so I also I have I have three children I've given birth to and my first was a very traditional allopathic you know with a medical doctor without even a side of holistic it was just like textbook and it was a great experience then I was pregnant with my second child when I became a NICU nurse. And I did a complete flip and had a midwife for my second two. And which was back then, I mean, most people thought it was crazy. They're like, you're doing what? And and then I would justify it, Peyton. And I would say, oh, no, no, don't worry. She's not like the howling at the moon kind of midwife. I would actually say that. She's a, a midwife that works at an actual OB-GYN practice. And oh, she has oh, the right, like given her credentials. Yes. So I had to make sure that everyone knew that she wasn't the crunchy midwife. She was the kind of midwife that you would approve of because, you know, I come from a medical, I have a lot of medical people in my family. Yeah, sure. And so I was justifying it to them, to myself. And I really believe that. Oh, you know, I mean, she's like a midwife, but, you know, not that kind of midwife. Now I know so differently. So why do we do that? And let's just chat about that. That I mean I'm even hearing myself going, why have I never talked about this? That yeah, it's so I normal it. for us. And it's crazy to think that we can trust our own body and listen to our heart.
1: We we are taught to defer to the experts. We're taught and again, we're talking this out. I don't even really know exactly, but When the medical institutions came, we were taught midwives were pushed out of the system, right? There was actually a lot of propaganda. I guess I do know a little bit about this. A lot of propaganda was uh, shared that said midwives are witchy. We now have these beautiful sterile buildings and we have these things called obstetricians who know if it's speaking about birth. know about this. It was a horrible time in obstetrical and maternal care. Like we were figuring out all these interventions that were really hard on the woman's body. And we took away our body's knowing of of birthing. And so literally, the midwives were kind of pushed out of caring. And, And then we were taught, oh, we need to differ. These people know more than us. So we stop listening to our body. We stop trusting our body. I don't know about you, but I'm 47 years old and I'm still regaining trust of self. And and as a mother, still trusting my gut and being comfortable going against the system that is telling me that's not really the way it's done or a lot of people don't do it that way. And,
0: and just doing that. Yes, in the hospital, they don't even, well, I shouldn't say they the majority, and back when I had kids. And I was a NICU nurse for a while, so I had to be in all high-risk delivery rooms, so I saw it. They don't even ask mothers. We're not even asked, how would you like to lay? You lay the way they tell you, right? You position yourself the way you're told. Everything happens the way they tell you how it's going to be. And my daughter, who's now just turned 23 yesterday, had a baby almost two years ago. So not that long ago. And... She wanted an in-home, a home birth, all natural with a midwife. Everything was planned out. And at the very last minute, developed severe preeclampsia, like like that, okay? And I saw the signs right away. And like, I mean, that's a different story. But imagine, you know, she wanted it this way. And the opposite of what she wanted was what she was going to get. Ended up with a C-section. But we went to the hospital and had the worst experience I'm angry with myself. I have forgiven myself, but with the training that I have and I was a cardiac nurse, I did other things. I was a NICU nurse and I'm her mother. And at that point, I had two births with a midwife and I knew so much more about holistic care. But guess what? That freaking programming came back. I was in the hospital and I was advocating for her, but not the way I would have right this minute. Like I still allowed them to tell us how it was going to be. My daughter was suffering. It's too long of a story, but her midwife and her doula were caught up and there were three different emergency deliveries and they could not get to the hospital. And we were left to a young nurse who just had zero compassion, zero empathy. My daughter was just struggling and it was just such a bad experience because they they used an intervention which I was out of the room and she didn't know what to say, ended up being extremely painful. It, anyway, it was awful. And this whole cascade effect. And then she ended up having the C-section. But I guess my long rambling point is that I'm, I'm experiencing, as I'm talking to you right now, that I forgot that all the years later, I still allowed the system, so to speak, to speak for us and not let my daughter listen to her own body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually kind of maddening.
1: It is. And I've had some very challenging experiences in a hospital. I've had some very incredible experiences at a hospital and transfer. I mean, thank goodness we have this type of care in these situations where women have a place to go and have that care. And sometimes those can be very beautiful in itself, even though it may not have been her desired birth experience. But yeah, it's very interesting you brought that up. And, you know, you start thinking about like, our cultures really kind of created this sense of fear of, well, think of our kids at school. If you don't get all A's, you're going to fail. And then you won't be able to go to school. You won't have a job. You won't, right? If you're not a good girl, you're going to go to hell. And what does even that look like? Or if you can't push this baby out and, you know, the next three pushes, we're going to have to take it out for you. And that has been said. i the doctor specifically said that. And so we don't trust. We're terrified, right? What does that look like? If I'm not doing X, Y, and Z, then then what do I do? So we, we do. We're like, okay, I, either, I have to show up this way or, and I don't know, I'm just kind of thinking this out as you're saying it, but like we have so much fear around this perceived good, bad, right, wrong. And especially when it comes to mothers, let's just be honest, we all just want to do what we can to bring a beautiful, healthy baby into the world. And so we do sometimes shut down because, you know, we're being told this would be the best way to do so. And we don't listen to that gut of saying, I know my body is made to do this. Yes, my body is divinely
0: designed to do this. I was never told that were you? No, I was never told that I didn't feel prepared and ready, like just by nature, your body will know what to do. Just, it's okay. That's what I would tell myself now. It was, I was so excited, but also scared. And I was waiting for them to tell me what was happening and what, what should happen. And there were a few times that, like, for example, when I got to the hospital with my first child, they started an IV. And in my heart, I was like, is that that I went to nursing school later, by the way, with a three month old. So I was not in nursing school at the time
1: and I, I'm impressed that you could retain all that information.
0: Oh, gosh, it was was not easy. (laughs) But I remember as they were putting the IV in, my heart said, why do I need this? This doesn't make sense. I was not a nurse. I knew nothing about anything medical, but it just didn't make sense. But did I question them? I'm a sassy, outspoken, independent person. Like I've been this way my whole life. I asked the question, but then I sat right back down. I just said, hey, I have a question. Why are you putting an IV in me? Because we realized that your, oh, what is it called? The, the swab that they do was positive. Oh, uh, yeah. The GBS. Yes. And yeah. so we, we realized that we didn't start the antibiotics and it's protocol. It's hospital protocol. And I said, well, I think I remember my gynecologist, my OB telling me that if I am positive, you have to do that, but, th- but it's a certain number of hours before the delivery to make sure it works. And she said to me, that's true, but it's hospital protocol to do it. So we're just doing it anyway. Like we know it's not going to do anything at this point, but we're doing it anyway. And I just said, okay. yeah, (laughs) And just sort of give me IV antibiotics before I delivered. For sure. And it's more of that fear-based
1: approach of, well, we're going to give you fluids just in case you have to have it. Well, why don't we like take that as it comes? But there's so much like fear-based interventions that, could potentially be unnecessary at that time because it, i just feel like you're you're just setting her up mentally you know the gown the this the, where she needs to be cared for and she's a patient where she's someone who's coming in just to rock this world and bring this baby into the in the world and she needs that confidence she needs that space of calm to let her body do what it knows to do
0: mm-hmm. so yeah. So what is your opinion on, because um, I can't wait to talk about what you do with Become. What is your opinion on when this starts? You know, as little girls, when do we start learning? Because some people listening are like, yeah, I'm never having kids. But here's the deal. You also are probably not listening to your body unless you've learned to, right? So yeah. when do you think we start believing that our body is not, that we're not sovereign, that we are, we don't have, first of all, the right... To say yes or no, but also to even know what we want. When do you think that starts?
1: Puberty. And I think, especially for women, when their uh, menstrual cycle initiates. So, one thing that I, I learned as a birth doula is um, I got to see the brilliance of our bodies. I got to see a woman, you know, giving birth without medication and just be like, like those natural hormones, just drug to like after a contraction and just out of it, and then just find her primal nature and 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 I started learning through women and this experience and and seeing their partners just in awe, in awe of what was unfolding, in in a woman's body. And what I learned personally was that I knew nothing about my body, and so I loved. Kind of awakening the, these um, expecting women to the the power that their body knew to do to birth their babies. So that's what I would love. I love teaching them about what their bodies knew to do, what their babies knew to do during the labor process, and then realized, okay, why are we just learning about this as we're having babies? And we need to start learning about this much younger before we disconnect from our bodies. So I truly believe that when we're we're going through puberty and this thing happens to us and we're taught like oh now you've really got to be cautious because now you could get pregnant and what does that look like if you get pregnant and now you're you're it's like your body's almost a threat to yourself mm. in a weird messed up way we're communicated this. And so I it is my belief that we separate a bit from our body because we're not taught the purpose of our menstrual cycle and the power that we could be given to it and embody what's happening. We just kind of say, Ugh, it's just thing this happens. We try to dismiss it as much as we can. We're ashamed
0: of it. All of it.
1: Ashamed, annoyed. And so I also had a daughter at that time who was, you know, she was nine at the time. And so I wrote a program for mothers and daughters. So I, I do ask that the mothers attend it too because I, I believe that the purpose of this particular program is to awaken the information for the daughter, but to help heal, heal the
0: mother. Mm. Oh, will you say that again? It's so beautiful. To awaken the daughter and heal the mother. So it's a mother daughter program.
1: It also gives them a common language in which to speak right? Because it's very important, the, the language we use, the the visuals we share, it's important, it'll have an effect on their biology, the bio symbols. So, you know, if I'm showing the girls of a uterus with like wincing, and you see these on, um, if you go on and like pull images off of like eye stock or whatever, and they're all like these, it makes me wince when I see mm. these images. So, We drew new photos. And yeah, so I'm like, okay, this information just needs to be presented in a different way that is sacred and very empowering.
0: And we deserve to understand what's going on with our bodies. So you know this, because I said this before we recorded, but I didn't know you did that until after I invited you on the podcast. When I saw that, I was like, oh God, yes, 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 yes. So do you find that the mothers going through this, I mean, I'm assuming This is a whole healing thing for them from their own experience when they were children. And can we also talk about like your first experience with your period? Because I'll share mine. Sure. Well,
1: I have the mothers complete prior to the workshop uh, contemplation page. Just if things come up for them and they're charged by things, because many of us are, that we can process those emotions prior to the workshop and prior to those conversations with their daughter or just to bring an awareness to her so that she can communicate in a, in a different light to her daughter. There is this process before the workshop, but yeah, most of the women who are her, my age and obviously just a little bit younger, but this is new information for them. And so in addition, typically as our daughters are going through puberty Because menopause, which is our, so menarche is our first menstrual cycle, menopause is our last menstrual cycle. And because menopause, our last menstrual cycle can start almost 10 years prior, um, we start feeling the physiological effects, I call it the menopausal progression, that typically a mom's body's already shifting and changing while her daughter's is as well. So her daughter's Mm. hormones are peaking, ours are dropping. And now we're getting this very um, unique opportunity to connect in a, a different way. It's very interesting. Women who are going through this physiological shift will often have dreams or memories from that time in their life because it's ready to be healed. Oh, my gosh. That happens quite often because everything's always trying to heal, right? To make whole. So that will start surfacing again. And our hormones help prompt that healing. So there's a, I call it, awaken to the purpose and power of your period. And yes, as women who are shifting and changing in this life transition, uh, approaching menopause, they too are awaking to the purpose and power of this menopause opportunity that they have. So there's a lot more kind of behind the scenes that's going on. That's infused in in the program.
0: Oh my gosh, so needed! Mm-hmm. It's so needed. So I, w- what was your experience? Um, okay, so I was so excited. Of course <laughs> you were. Everyone, of course,
1: I was. <laughs> right, like, oh my goodness, my friend. Do you remember the books? Are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. Yes. Okay, yes. so I had a friend of mine who she referenced that book, and she said you know, I remember reading, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. And she looked out on this lake and I always dreamed that one day I'd have this house looking out on the lake. And I'm like, what? I go, I remember those books and I couldn't wait to wear a bra and get my period. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, and I'm like, what do you, I don't even know what you're talking about in the book, you know? Yeah. So I was at, I was with my cousin who had already had hers and we were babysitting,
0: babysitting. We were just trying to keep the child alive. And yeah, because um, those I mean, of you who are younger, when Peyton and I were growing up, we were babysitting when we were like 10. Yes. Everybody babysat at like 10, 11, 12. Like none of us knew what we were doing. Dear God.
1: I know. Right. So, and no telling what we did with those kids, but um, we, okay. So how old was I? It was before my eighth grade year. So 13. So 13, yeah. Yeah. Or almost 13. And yeah, I had gone to the bathroom in whites and there it was. And I was just, yeah, I came oh. running out to tell my cousin, like, i had a another woman. Like, I loved it. But everyone is so different. And for me, it was just a very positive experience.
0: Okay. So I wonder if this too, I wonder if the experience of starting your period is a reflection of, you know, your not necessarily every situation in your family, but your childhood and your, how well you've learned to love or like or accept yourself at that age. I wonder. I don't know. Mine was very typical of my childhood. It was fucking horrible. It was <laughs> another story that I can tell to some coach. I've paid a lot of coaches to talk about another traumatic story of Jill's childhood. Um, and of course she wondered, is it really traumatic or did you view it as traumatic because everything else was traumatic? Yeah, I get it. But this was so bad. The worst part is that you'd think that I would have been different once my daughters had their periods. Oh no, we just had the conversation recently and I had no idea until my daughter goes, are you kidding mom? I was like, I did that. I, oh my God, Peyton, <laughs> my, my whole, like the next year of my life is dedicated to so much forgiveness work for everything I wish I would have done differently as a parent. We do the best we can. With I what we've got. know. But man, oh man, yeah, I didn't have a lot. I did pretty well for what I had. But my child, I always tell, tell people, that my husband grew up with like the beaver cleaver childhood, right? And I grew up like nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So my period, I same with you, went to the bathroom. There it was didn't really think anything of it I was like oh I don't really know what this is I had no I didn't really understand and I told my mom and my mom said oh hold on and laughed picked up the phone called our next door neighbor and said oh Jill started I don't have anything I'm sending her over and so I walked over to our next door neighbor rang the doorbell and Carol opened the door Carol, Carol, God, I love her. And she's in the middle of dinner with her family, and she opened the door, and she said, "Well, I heard. Here you go. It's going to feel like a mattress between your legs." <laughs> Smoking her cigarette. And I was like, "Okay, Carol. thanks, Carol. Carol." So I took this giant pad and walked away, having no idea what to do. I'm like, "Do I stuff it inside of myself?" Do I tape it to my stomach? Do I? And I went inside and I knew not to ask my mom. It's like there was no discussion. Wow, she went back to her cigarette and her cup of coffee and whatever she was doing in the kitchen. And I went upstairs and proceeded to figure out how to put a pad right on myself. And I literally didn't understand. And it was never discussed. The next day, there were just pads in the bathroom and it was never discussed again. And that was my experience. It was embarrassment. I was laughed at, totally ashamed, and never talked about it again. And there were times in my, I think I was seventh grade, where my cramps were so bad. I mean, I thought I was going to throw up. I mean, just excruciating. I, I felt like someone was pulling my uterus out with pliers as if I knew what a uterus was. I mean, even pain down to my knees so bad, but I never said anything. And I would just, that's what we're taught, right? I would sweat it out and I would gut it out and I would look, put my cute little outfit on and I'd walk my ass to school. And that's the way it was.
1: Or are we given like medicine to dampen these signals? So when our body experiences symptoms, it's trying to tell us what it needs. And we talk about this in the workshop, because again, I'm trying to alert the girls that your body will constantly try to communicate what it needs physically, emotionally, energetically through these things we refer to as symptoms. Mm -hmm. So when we when we ignore them, when we dampen them with medicine or alcohol or whatever, then we can't listen to what it needs. So what can I do for my body that will help alleviate the cramping? What can I do to hydrate myself to alleviate the headache? Or what can I do? So we're not taught like the things that we can do to support our bodies. And even more I truly believe there's a doctor, Dr. Mario Martinez. He talks about this, uh, something called biocognition and it's how the beliefs of our culture can shift our biology. Mm. And I, I truly believe that years of when g- girls approached menarchy when they got their periods, they were isolated, which is terrifying right? You're a young girl and all of a sudden you're isolated. You're experiencing these changes in your body. You sometimes can't go worship in certain places. You now are hunted by men. There's all these kind of really heavy beliefs and perceptions that are are taught to us. And so over time, we've been taught to experience what we're feeling. We've been taught to hurt. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. We have been taught that when this happens, it is not great. It's bad. And it's bad. And this is just the price we have to pay for being a woman. Yeah. Thanks, Eve. That's what I used to yeah, say. The blame. I mean, and that this is part of our punishment. But no, this is not how God designed us. This is for our procreation. This is for the survival of our species. And there's there's been so much belief. Put onto it that I feel like has given our body these symptoms that we're experiencing, and I think we can shift them. But it it takes a shift in our belief and trust in our bodies, and it takes time to heal those cultural wounds. Mm-hmm. That may be a little too woo woo for people, but you know, I truly believe that our belief affects our biology.
0: So. Well, people can call it woo if they want, but it's so good that we're talking about it. We have to give everyone the whole smorgasbord and they can decide what they want to eat and what they don't. I've never heard anyone say that. And it's, it's really brilliant if you think about it. How could it not affect it? Yeah. If it affects everything else, why would it not affect our own period?
1: And I'm not saying it's, I mean, it can be inconvenient. It can be messy. It can
0: be uncomfortable. Sure. Yes. All of that. Absolutely. But it's not a curse. No. And you're not dirty and there's not, it doesn't need to be feared. I never thought it was cursed, right? I think even though it was typical of my childhood, I think even if I were in a different family upbringing experience, as women, we are taught to focus on the negative side of our period. We may not feel like we're cursed, but all we ever talk about is, Oh, I got my period. Oh, I started again. You know, like there's never anything positive about it.
1: Well, and then we hit it for so long, like moving into the workforce, like we got to be as tough as men, and we can't let this, you know, weaken us. But our body goes through this beautiful rhythm throughout each month. And, you know, we had to dismiss it, we had to ignore it. You know, when you're on your cycle, like your body temperatures lower, you need to be resting, you need to be eating warming foods, you typically don't feel like being social, And we push through it and we push through it and then wonder why we're feeling what we're feeling. We're not listening to our body. Our body's saying, lay down, let someone attend to you, rest, recover. You're not only having a a physical cleansing, but you're having a, a psychological cleansing, which is why we cry. Like it is a full release, it is a cleansing of our body. It's why people believe that women live longer than men because we have you know, prior to menopause is because we we have this natural cleansing system.
0: Oh, my goodness. I've never heard that.
1: And so typically, like women do more through their menstrual cycle, this cleansing system, release of toxin, men do it through sweating. So we get this opportunity every month to cleanse our body. And yes, it cleanse our emotions, all of it. It's all tied together. It's not weak that we get emotional, we're letting stuff go throughout the month that we're just ready to get rid of. And so, and now, granted, you can't always just go rest for four days when you're on your cycle. But if you can, like if you don't need to go to that event that evening, stay home, read a book. So, there are ways that we can attune to our cycles that support everything
0: emotionally and physically. Will you do a quick rundown, just a quick education for us on? the month, because I truly don't know. It's one area that I, I've told myself in the last year, I probably should learn a little bit about my cycle. And also there's a connection to the moon and there's mm. so much. And my friends like, Jill, you need to learn about this. She's like, my whole life now. She goes, I plan my business around it. I plan my whole month around where I am in the cycle. But you know, when you talked about resting, et cetera, I, I just again, I tend to slam myself for things. That's the Enneagram one, by the way. But (laughs) I remember telling my daughter to basically suck it up and go to school. Yeah. Her her saying, mom, I feel like I'm going to die. Like I, She told me once that she had to pull over to the side of the road to throw up because her cramps were that bad. And do you want to know what my, if I'm being really honest here, what my reaction was? She was being a drama queen. Yep. Yep. Even though I hate it when people say that to me. But that was because I've never had it that bad. She's never had it that bad. It turns out it was true. <laughs> you know, they were that bad that she wanted to throw up. But and I just medicated them and sent them out the door. And of course, I know better now. Just the other day, Julia, who just moved to Arizona, she's 19. She was on her cycle. And um, I gave her the red light therapy and made sure she had enough water. And I'm like trying to make up for all the years before she moves out. Do you need anything else? Can I give you something? <laughs> when you know better, you do better. That's right. right. But tell us a little bit about our cycle and our what's going on in our body.
1: Yeah. So you think of like if you think of it and breaking it up in these 4 weeks or let's call it the four seasons. So you have this winter season which is your your menstrual cycle, let's call it of just shedding of things of death, right? So things can be reborn. So it's of everything letting go of quieting of release. Okay. Then we start moving and things start to emerge, right? We've created all this fertile ground for new things to grow. So we're moving into our spring, which would be that next weekend where things are sprouting and things are emerging. Our energy is emerging more. And then we get to summer where we're just like vibrant and summer would be like when you're ovulating, it's the full moon. It's when everything is bright and glowy. Um, this is a great time. So this is midway through your cycle. It's when you're ovulating, this would be a time to ask for a raise. This would be a time to do a presentation because you are radiant. You are radiant. And there are pheromones that are being released that people pick up on. They've done like tests where waitresses get tips significantly more when they're ovulating. Oh my like, god! It's, it's faci- oh yeah, there's fascinating things. Even photos of like when a woman's ovulating and when she's on her cycle, and they'll always choose. Oh my! Like gosh. like just from a photo. Wow. So so then you move, you you know, you experience the summer. Right, you're ripe. You're ripe. And then you move more into the fall where things are starting to, your energy may be slowing down a little more. Um, you know, you're starting to think, huh, okay, what's going on in the month that didn't really feel good to me? You know, people label it as premenstrual irritation, but this is when things start get becoming very clear. This is like, you're very decisive. You know what you like, what you don't like. Like this is when... I would tell partners, this is when you listen. (laughs) This isn't when you dismiss. This isn't when you, your partner and like, oh, she's just, she's getting her period soon. No, 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 no. She's finally communicating with you what has annoyed her for the whole month. And she wasn't ready to say, didn't want to say, all of that's coming out. So this is an opportunity to listen. So this is when you really want to listen. And then the release back to winter. So what's very interesting is that, you know, with our menstrual cycle as women, each month we get to practice these four rhythms. Each month we practice throughout the year, we practice with the rhythm of the seasons and throughout our life cycle, we go through this. So right now I would be more in a fall mode. There's archetypes as an enchantress where... Things are a little erratic. Things are a little erratic. I call it like wake the fuck up
0: season. (laughs) Now now you're talking about the season of your life, like because of your age your life cycle. Yes. So before menopause, a few years before menopause.
1: Yeah. So now I would be like, so if you have like, call it four weeks of your menstrual cycle, right? I would be in that premenstrual right before I get the release in my life cycle.
0: Mm. So the
1: archetypes they use, so an archetype is a cross cultural example of something. And so with women, the archetype would be um, the maiden in in spring at the start of the beginning of your cycle where, you know, I picture like, your flower crowns and your, she's wearing a dress and she's very light and playful. And then the mother archetype, where she's caring for her children and nurturing. And then we move into this enchantress or the wild woman, where she's created all this stability, whether it's a mothering, a career, mothering children, you've created the stability in your life. And then all of a sudden, And if you're into astrology, it typically happens around 42-ish, the Uranus opposition, where the world gives you a little shoulder shake and says, hey, are you here doing what you're supposed to do? And all of a sudden, you're like, wait a minute. You know, I've kind of cared for my career, I've cared for my children. And now, like the universe is saying, hey, are you sharing your gifts with the world? Are you listening to your heart's desire? And things get a little erratic. like. How my husband came in one day to, to the kitchen, and he said, "Honey, sometimes you just terrify me because I'm not sure who I'm going to get." And I said, "I don't know who I'm going to get. Imagine how it feels to be me. What are you over there complaining about? Oh, yeah. I don't know who we get today? I mean, come on.
0: Oh my gosh, Quit your kitchen, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> And just so I'm going through this phase of like." I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. I'm trying to feel what's right. I say no a lot more. You know, I don't want to do that. Whereas before I would
0: have been like, "Oh sure, okay, 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 my like, oh, I'll go." Did that start around 42 or just recently? Cuz I didn't start that at 42. Well, I shouldn't say that. I remarried at 42. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I always find it interesting. Then men find this too. We call
1: it a midlife crisis. I refer to it as a midlife awakening. The term crisis means a a decisive things kind of shift so so yeah i'm 47 and i'm i'm just the average age of menopause and women is around 52 and then you move into the season of the crone the wise woman who's who's here to now share all that she's learned all that she's experienced and is really bringing her gifts to life now that she's brought children or her career you move like from a career to your calling now it's like really time to Exude your wisdom to the community. And so we think of the crone as like, oh, she's done. Like she's not desirable anymore. She's like this old haggard woman. No, no, no. A woman's stepping into her ultimate beauty and stepping into what we crave as a culture to learn from her. And so it's really an opportunity for women where I think so many of us are afraid to step into that next phase in our life but like, this is it. This is what our world needs from us. We're about to like birth our gifts now. So I'm excited moving into it. And I know that's going to support my body and support my symptoms too by embracing just the changes that I'm about to go through.
0: Yes, instead of holding on to the used to. And the yeah, it's interesting because I was just saying to a friend of mine, there can be some grieving for some people. Oh, for sure.
1: And I'm not saying that you got to feel the feels because it's a transition. Anytime we move from a transition, it's a grief period. You know, anytime we move from being the young girl and into the mother, there's a grief period. Like I had this freedom. I had this, you know, now I have this responsibility. We have to feel and honor that in each stage of our life. We can look forward and see the gifts that may be coming to us, but we still have to honor the process in the change and the transition in this new passage, what we refer to as this rite of passage. It is, it's like we go through it. We have to feel that. And honestly, I love, this is something, a red tent or a ceremony, whatever that looks like for you, even if it's just a gathering or a few of your girlfriends together to talk about this transition and what you're feeling, a fire, you know, something from an element from, you know, whether it be earth, fire, water, to really help you process something intentionally. is very helpful.
0: Yeah, I can see that. And in, in this stage of your life, it's interesting to me and more than interesting. I think it's so cool that if you said you're sharing. I know you're not to the crone yet, but I'm mm-hmm. saying you're now sharing your wisdom and your gifts with these young moms and these young girls about their body and about their cycle and their period. And I think that's really cool how it's coming full circle. Imagine if I had that. You know, I wasn't you all excited to be bleeding. And I can imagine if someone had explained that to me and I could have understood my body.
1: Or leave a little, maybe just even a little less
0: fear about it or a little disconnection for your body or a little less frustration with your body. Yeah. And these young girls that you're helping, also think about what their experience is going to be when they become pregnant and go into pregnancy and birth because they have had that for their cycle, even if they never learn from you again, I believe their experience when they're pregnant and when they give birth is going to be very different, right? Because you've taught them at a young age to listen to their body, to see the wisdom in the cycle and how it all works.
1: I hope so. That's the intention. Yeah. Um, May I share something? Yes. So I just recently released an ebook for dads it's called she becomes a dad's guide to his developing daughter and i'm i'm so excited about it because i hear so often men share that you know do i get to do anything do i say anything or i just want to show up for my my partner differently <laughs> many of it was is from the men that i've worked with during childbirth and they're like now what you know and so one day i had a, a single dad reach out and say my daughter's gone through puberty and i don't know what the hell to do like do you have any tips for me and so he sparked this ebook it's 25 26 pages but if you're listening today and you have a partner um, i want you to know that i wrote it where the man can learn about his daughter, but he can learn about his partner. So a lot of it's maybe what partner is going through at this point in her life. So there's a little more understanding and acknowledgement. At least that's my hope. So I think, well, we'll see. It just was released and people are starting to read it, and our feedback is great, but hopefully it'll it'll be a, a start for men to try to understand us differently.
0: Mm, I love that. And what is the box that I saw that you can order for your girls? Oh, is yeah. That so it? the
1: Become box is, it's a period preparation kit. So when, before uh, this time of quarantine, when we were gathering together, I would teach these workshops live and I would give them um, a goodie bag full of all these things. And so now that things have gone more virtual, it's a box box where it just has things to get them started to prepare for their for menarche their first cycle so it has pads and it's got it's got some tutorials it's got essential oil it has a crystal it has a heating pad mm, i love it's it it's got a journal some facial wipes like it's just got we just keep adding stuff to it changes all the time cuz i'm always adding new things that may support their body
0: I love that. I was actually telling my husband about that before we came down here. I I think that's just the coolest thing. Is that something that moms can order or they go through the workshop and they get that?
1: Oh, no, those are available for anyone and they're on my website at peytoncallahan.com.
0: Okay, all right. So we'll have the links for all of that. And I would love to sometime host an online event and feature you. I would love to do that. I have so many friends and so many contacts that I believe would really... Be excited about this. And, and as you said, it'll be education for us too. You'll be teaching the 12-year-olds while Jill's learning. Well,
1: it's so <laughs> funny that you said that because I had a group of 30-year-old women reach out to me because they wanted to learn more about fertility. And not that I'm a fertility expert, but I'm like, let's learn about our bodies. So it was a, I called it a fertility consciousness class and I used the exact same workbook that I used for the girls. And I just added a few more things about more specific to when they're fertile and things like that. I maybe added three pages, but I used what I would add is speak to a nine-year-old and they were fascinated. Okay. So when are you going to do one on menopause? (gasps) Oh, actually, I just don't have one on the schedule, but yes. Awakening to the Purpose and Power of Menopause is called Exalted. Oh, We need uh, to do that.
0: I'm all right? about it. Let's do it. You know
1: what the word exalt means? It means no. to rise and rank.
0: Mm. That was about to happen to me. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have a red tint. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. This has been so wonderful. I mean, if you look at the beginning of our conversation to now, how much we covered, but all the different avenues we went down. And thank you for being so raw and so vulnerable and so open and really sharing your heart with us and your knowledge and your experience. I mean, this was just wonderful.
1: You are so welcome. Thank you for creating the sacred space for me to do so.
0: And I know you don't do a lot of education and business on IG, but everyone needs to follow you because I love your account. I love it. So it's just isn't it Peyton? The animal. Oh dear, I know. As the animal, I know. I saw that. That's the animal. E E R. Mm, mm -hmm. Oh dear, Um, that may be a power animal situation. Ah, Mm. love it.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, what are you going to
0: do for your heart's desire? Mm. Mm. So, for my heart's desire, you're doing this to hold me accountable. (laughs) A little bit. Okay. I know you're trying to wrap it up. Okay. So I, my heart's desire, I here's what's interesting. I would brag about, like if someone said, I always say I don't have a vitamin N deficiency. I say no very easily and very well. Like, nope, not going to be a room mom. Nope, not sending a snack. Nope, that's not, I, I just, I have no problem saying no. And yet, right, I have people pleasing all over the place in other areas. It's like the dirty, messy room in your house that no one sees, Right, so when it (laughs) comes to this, I'm all about following my desire and following my heart, and I could tell you so many examples. You're like, that's pretty freaking bold. That's amazing, Jill. I left nursing to get into network marketing. I left that to do this. I divorced my husband. Like, literally, decided one day, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not living this life anymore, and I'm done today. As in, like, we need to decide who's moving out tonight. Like, yet I still have this area that is like the dirty room in my house where I still neglect myself and I still don't take care of myself and nurture myself and do things for me. And I'm learning that, but it's such a foreign language and it feels so strange to me, right? I've got all the, I've got the codependency, I've got the enmeshment, I've got the all the stuff. And I was telling Peyton before we hit record that I have, I was uh, participated in um, an online workshop, which I mentioned to the listener before called Desire on Fire. Please go follow them on Instagram. And one of the exercises, we were eye to eyeball, eyeball to eyeball on Zoom, one-on-one. And we asked two questions several times. The first part I hadn't shared with Peyton yet. And it is, I'll do it with you. Can we do it live? Okay. Okay, Peyton. Okay, so I'm going to ask you the question and you're going to answer it back. I'll show you how to answer it. And all I'm going to say is thank you. I don't give you any feedback at all. So my question to you is going to be, where do you feel obligated? And you're going to say, I feel obligated and then you fill in the blank and then I just say thank you and we'll just do it five times and then we'll go to the Mm. part two okay okay Okay. and no thinking just straight from your heart okay let's do a deep deep breath together (sighs) okay so really ground into yourself here and if you want your eyes closed for this great if you'd rather them open that's fine too Peyton where do you feel obligated
1: I feel obligated To be home with my kids.
0: Thank you. Peyton, where do you feel obligated?
1: I feel obligated to be available to my family
0: and do less of what
1: I truly want to do.
0: Thank you. Peyton, where do you feel obligated? I feel obligated to be available
1: to support my husband.
0: Thank you. Peyton, where do you feel obligated? I feel obligated to my family. Thank you. And Peyton, where do you feel obligated? I feel
1: obligated to provide for my family
0: first. Thank you. Okay, so any insights? I mean, for me, it's my husband supports everything
1: I want to do, you know, my kids, my kids do. So, but my feeling is a little feeling of this stuckness that I can't go do all the things I want to do, because I feel this obligation that I need to be home with them. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And, you know, they will always be important and a priority in my life. But that, that doesn't mean it has to be at a cost of me truly experiencing life the way I really want to.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Most likely, it's only going to benefit them.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I did that exercise, I said something I never thought would come out of my mouth. I said, I feel obligated not to age. Mm. Never would have guessed that. I mean, I don't do Botox, I've never done anything like that to myself. But I actually said that I, I, it came out of me. I said, I feel obligated not to age. And then I went, oh. That's interesting, especially mm-hmm. based on our conversation today. Yeah. Because I think I'm starting to see it more now. What does it mean if you age? I need to dig into that. I think it means, I think it, it challenges the whole perfectionism. And the, the other thing is, I think it brings up, I have this ongoing story. And I know it's a story. Of always wanting to, wait, I'm not ready. I need to go back. Wait, I I, I need to go back and do, I need to do over. I need to do over. So it's like, if I see myself physically aging, I realize my life is moving forward and I'm, it's irrational, but that's how it feels. You know, and I think there's also some connection to, to my mother, like a not a, not a positive connection, you know, that it's, it's reminding me that that that's almost like I'm her or I don't know. I, I haven't dug into it yet. Okay. But it I think it has to do with that. I think it has more to do with that than the perfectionist thing, actually, because I could make myself, quote unquote, look better if I did things, right? It's not that. It's the middle one. That's what it is. It's definitely the times moving and I want it to slow down and I want to go back and redo things and I also just don't feel ready. I have that. It's a trauma response. I mean, I have that in general. Like wait 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 I'm not ready. Wait, wait 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 hold on. So that was one that shocked me, and the other one that I said at the end, it shouldn't shock me because I told you I'm a, I'm not a recovered. I'm a recovering perfectionist. But I said out loud to this woman I had never met, I feel obligated to be good at every single fucking thing I do. Hmm. Everything, things I've never done before things that I, it should matter Yeah, that resonates with me so and,
1: and when we think about it is this this idea of perfection when we're we're born perfect and then we're taught you need to do this to be loved we need to do this to be loved we need to show up this way to be loved and so when Dr. Gabor Mate I don't know if you follow any of his work but Um, when do we give up authenticity for attachment? Mm -hmm. And at the core of every single one of us, somewhere we shifted from just knowing we're perfect for being who, knowing we're worthy of love, simply for being here. That we're only lovable if we do this or we show up this way or we achieve this or we have this. And we've connected those. So we feel like we have to do
0: it this way in order to be loved. Yeah. So let's do the second half, which is oh goodness, really okay. fun. Okay, the second half is about our desire.
1: Okay, and so yours changed. Mine stayed pretty significant. I was I mm-hmm. was stuck on that one for mm-hmm. me from obligations. Okay, mm-hmm.
0: Can you feel ready? Okay, sure. Peyton, what do you desire?
1: Oh, I desire to travel.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Uh, uh. Peyton, what do you desire?
1: I desire to I'm all over the place. Like I just had this like quick vision of I'm at the pyramids, I'm running down the beach, like literally exploring. I desire to explore.
0: Thank you. Peyton, what do you desire?
1: I desire to build a retreat space to host my retreats.
0: Mm, thank you, Peyton. What do you desire?
1: I desire to to host these gatherings for women.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Last one, Peyton. What do you desire?
1: I, de- I desire to start saying yes to things that are very meaningful for me. Mm. They they give me life.
0: Thank you. Mm -hmm. So you asked me earlier what my heart's desire is. And I did that exercise to show everybody how this came about. So I did that exercise with a stranger online. And I said something I did not think would come out of my mouth. And I said, I desire to dance. I mean it came out of mouth. I was like, I wanted to put it right back in. Like, what what did I just say? What what did that mean? Why did I say that? And I also what else did I say for desire? I said I desire. Oh, it's funny what I said I like about you. Cause I said I desire to not just be funny, but to have fun, like to really have fun. And I desire just joy and happiness. Just joy and happiness, you know, which is it's so foreign to me. So I did commit to that. So I, I told Peyton that um, there's a young woman I met a couple of years ago who told me that she's a part of a group where I live and they just do this sort of, I will just call it like free dance. You know, they just, she is a dance instructor for kids, but she's also, they do this ex- expressive dance with just women and they gather together and she's invited me to do it. And I was afraid. I didn't feel ready. I was like secretly like desiring it, but I didn't give myself permission at any level. And after this retreat this weekend, when I said that, I realized, okay, there's something there. And so I got the guts up to send a text to her and say, okay, Sydney, you told me about, and if you're listening, Sydney, hello, you told me about your dance group. I'm ready. And it took like a half a second. She's like, oh yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. We're ready for you. And she sent me a Facebook group and she tagged me in the post and told me we're meeting this Wednesday night. I was like, oh shit. I don't know if I'm not ready. Uh, but I'm so excited about it. And I actually canceled plans to do it. So my husband had scheduled dinner with another couple. And he's been trying to get this on the books for so long. And I just said, you know what? I can't go. And here's what I love about him. And I think your husband's the same way. He fully supports a real, you know, something really from my heart. There's no question. And I said, I get it. I am sorry that I'm telling you this the day before. Yeah. No, two days before, but I need you to tell him that it's not going to work, and that we need to come up with another time because I have—I have, I have to, to go dance. I have to do this. I <laughs> yep. have to go dance. I have to do it. And he's like, "I love this. I'm so happy for you. Not a big deal." So, uh, yes. So that's what I'm going to do.
1: I desire to dance with you. Yes. Sometime
0: soon. I'm coming to Austin. I don't have the date yet, but it, but I was telling Cal that I'm coming sometime. I think in November. I was going to come and this month my husband is for something, and I found out it's like ninety degrees there still, and I'm not interested. <laughs> Little sweat, come on! Don't like the heat, don't like the heat at all. And Girl. this is this is how rigid I can be. Are you ready for this? I've decided, Peyton, that it is fall. Fall to me is my fall experience in the Midwest, and it is not ninety degrees. And I'm, I I want have my fall clothes on. I'm ready for fall. Got my hat. <laughs> You do
1: have your hat. It's adorable on I'm not on coming
0: you. to Austin until it cools off. So I'm good luck with thinking that. We're not sure when November that'll be.
1: December. <laughs> you never know. Let just me know when
0: you have snow.
1: <laughs> I'll be there. Yeah, we'll dance. A we'll just snow years. angels together. Love it. Uh, uh, thank what a you treat! So what a treat this has this. been.
0: Thank you. Really excited. So Peyton Callahan, find her on Instagram. The, your website is PeytonCallahan.com. Is .com? That what it is? You got it. Okay, you got it. And yeah. then the become information is there, right? You got it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a beautiful day. Thank you for being you. Oh, thank you.